Welcome to the Advent Reader, December 4th, week 2, on hope. The readings are linked in the newsletter. Thank you for being here. If you found this reflection and this Advent series useful or inspiring, don't hesitate to share. You ever notice whenever there's a protest of some kind that upsets the quote norm, people tend to reply with, well, I believe in protest, but not like that. It's as if there's a certain threshold of quote protest that protest can't cross because it will be too protesty. But isn't that the point of protest to begin with? To focus a, I'd say, nonviolent disruption against power and system. I think of protest as focused disruption against powers and systems that oppress minority groups. It's not a definition, by the way, it's just a reflection from me. There are other forms of protest that take up press coverage, like freedom convoys or conservative Christians maligning LGBTQ rights. Commonalities of these complaints, coupled with threats of violence, revolve around upholding power and majority preference. I encourage you to linger with the differences. What does this have to do with hope? Protest with vision that includes liberation for all is a symbol of hope. Our world, I think of world around us, not the entire planet, doesn't seem to be positioned or designed to make collective decisions for the least of these. Most often, in fact, we rely on governments to deliver programs and services to the quote least. I think of the pandemic too, since it's most readily apparent in our current memory. There's a widespread acceptance to quote put up with the new reality. Problem is, this reality is fraught with immeasurable harms. I mean that literally, we don't have a full picture, although it's becoming more clear, on the long-term impact of COVID-19. That's particularly important for disabled and immunocompromised folks who not only are diligent about not getting sick, but have had to withdraw themselves further from routine and social activities because the world is completely unsafe. Trouble is, most able-bodied folks are focused on returning to quote old normal versus dealing with the discomfort that this old normal only worked for certain bodies. We, able-bodied folks, lack a collective willingness to design more expansive inclusivity for the multitude pushed further to the margins of society. That's pushed further. In other words, It's one thing to talk about hope as able-bodied folks, but it's quite another to dismantle old ways in favor of more inclusive functions in our day-to-day society. When the majority try to uphold the, quote, norms, we are not acknowledging how those norms are in fact designed to create inaccessibility. In other words, we create and hold the climate that creates bodies to marginalize. As in, disabilities are created because of social design, 
creating access barriers. Linger with that for a moment. The simple individual response in a pandemic world is to wear a mask indoors. This simple addition could decrease the spread of the virus, but simultaneously make indoor spaces safer for disabled folks. It's simple in theory, but the application is really hard to get widespread adoption. There's a variety of reasons why, but we won't get into them. Back to hope. I want to circle back. The real sense of desolation for folks who cry out for this truth. What hope? Where is the hope when we can't even rely on each other? When society will not defer to the voices and needs of those most marginalized? It's hard to see hope when you can't rely on your own community, your own family, your own friends to join in building better and safer spaces. I want to join in affirming those who dwell here. You're right. You're right. This sounds hopeless. Here's the thing. Oftentimes, church folks can't hold uncertainty well. We'll default to a version of this response when they hear there's no hope. But there's always hope in Jesus or God. I get it. It's probably true, but it's also simultaneously not what you want to hear when you're literally in spaces where everything seems hopeless. It's dismissive and demonstrates a lack of solidarity when those who have hope are in a in need of no hope because all their needs are met, can't or won't hold the necessary space for those who look around and note how the world near and far is moving on without them. Ironically, it's those who hold the hope and also see themselves shoved aside that demonstrate how to handle bad things. There's a level of truth-telling into our everyday reality that's going on here, yet it's also quote, right, to pin a hope that Jesus gives us a cosmic rationale to hold on to hope. It's just that the application for many is being lost. Hope should ultimately mean something tangible in our present. It means the Christian hope is in Jesus, but that tangibly means those that claim to be followers ought to live like him and take on advocacy, that is for to live for, the same hope that Jesus sought after. That starts with the least among us, the last in our society, that was put there by society and the systems that operate around us in the first place. By the way, Jesus protested too. How else do you describe his sudden behavior in the temple? Note, Jesus actually arrives in the story of Mark 11, the night before to the temple, and it's the next day where he stages his protest by overturning the tables. The momentum generated at that event is the starter that catalyzes the final Passion Week and pinnacle of the Christian narrative of salvation. So, as we leave, and as John the Baptist preaches, he was in one of the readings for this Advent week, we are also invited to participate in the announcement of a more holistic pathway forward that contains hope for an expansive liberation for all. That can include the tangible function of protest in the same manner that Jesus employed in the search for better.